Hey everyone, I'm Nia Malika Henderson, senior political reporter at CNN, and this is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch, a podcast dedicated to up-to-the-minute reporting and analysis of the historic impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump. Today, I'm filling in for regular host David Chalian. And in a few minutes, I'm going to be talking with one of CNN's all-star fact-checkers. That's reporter Daniel Dale, of course. Uh, But first, I'm going to uh, chat with Evan Perez, a colleague here. He is CNN's senior justice correspondent. Welcome to the podcast, Evan. Thank you very much. And so, Evan, in D.C. today, and listen, probably all around the country, uh, Mick Mulvaney, who, of course, is the acting White House uh, chief of staff, his words, his press conference yesterday, where he seemed to embrace the idea that, yes, there was a quid pro quo, that is reverberating across this town. What did you make of it? What does this mean in terms of what you think the White House's strategy is in terms of impeachment? You know, the most remarkable thing about it was that he went out there to sort of test drive what is really their story. This is a story that they're they're emerging with, which is that, look, it's okay for the president to ask for an investigation that looks back at 2016 if there was interference by a foreign government in 2016 election then it's okay for us to do that and demand that. You know, if we're going to be giving aid to a country that has a history of corruption, it's totally okay to do that um, and sort of separate that from the idea of investigating Joe Biden and his son because then the idea of looking at a prospective 2020 rival, of course, would have an impact on the the, the future election, right? They're trying, they were trying to separate that. And if that's what he did, then probably the White House would be happy. Instead, uh, what he did is, you know, he took this thing for a test drive and ended up in a ditch because, uh, you know, he ended up making a total mess of it, you know, essentially making it clear that this was a quid pro quo for an investigation and bringing in the Justice Department, which, of course, then causes bigger problems. The White House you know, if anything, has an interest in separating itself from what is going on at DOJ, which, by the way, is looking back at 2016 and is doing a review of of how that began. And so that's one of the things that happened yesterday. He did so much damage, not only to the president, to their brand new, shiny excuse for what was happening, but also to the Justice Department. And yeah, he tried to essentially legitimate the quid pro quo by invoking the Justice Department investigation, which, of course, we know that William Barr is kind of going all over the world in trying to uncover the roots of the Russia investigation. And I sort of put that in quotes because we know what the roots of the Russia investigation are. But here was Mick Mulvaney yesterday. Again, I was I was involved with the uh, the process by which the money was held up temporarily. Okay, three issues for that: the corruption in the country, whether or not other countries were participating in the support of the Ukraine, and whether or not they were uh, cooperating in an ongoing investigation with our Department of Justice. That's completely legitimate. And of course, the DOJ responded, being like, "What are you talking about, Mick Mulvaney?" Right. Essentially, there was a WTH <laughs> moment right. there, I, I, you know, in the halls because I was over there, and it certainly was something that they reacted very sharply, very unusually, by the way, for the Justice Department to come out and publicly distance themselves from the from the White House. It's just not done in this administration very much, and so uh, they basically said, if there was any. 
any exchange, any any link between withholding the aid to Ukraine and the Justice Department investigation being done by John Durham, then it was news to them. And I and you can see why, right? Uh, the, the Attorney General Bill Barr, as you, as you mentioned, has been leading this investigation. He has some suspicions. He believes that it's possible that there's some people who did things incorrectly and, and acted inappropriately he, uh, at the beginnings of this investigation, uh, of the 2016 Russia investigation. Um, what what he has been doing, he's been traveling around the world, essentially, with John Durham, uh, his prosecutor, in tow, uh, trying to gather some of this information. This is something, obviously, the White House is very happy about. The president is applauding it from the sidelines. What this, what Mulvaney did, essentially, was jump in and try to, you know, get into the car with, 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 <laughs> with, with Bill Barr. Bill Barr kind of kicked him out immediately. Yeah, and at least in New York, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll say this. The Justice Department, when this call came out, the transcript of this call, essentially said there was no problem uh, with that call. How does that fit into what's going on now in terms of they're clearly looking into or the, the folks in New York, prosecutors in New York are clearly looking into Giuliani, clearly looking into Ukraine as well? Right. That was one of the things that emerged, certainly when after the release of that transcript, the Justice Department, uh, you know, officials tried to say uh, there is no uh, campaign finance violation by the president and nothing to see here, case closed. It turns out prosecutors in New York have other ideas. And so it's not a closed matter. It is clear that they are closely scrutinizing and investigating Rudy Giuliani. And, 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 you know, the political implications of that are tremendous. I mean, we're talking about someone who is very close to the president and Giuliani's own defense, which is to hug the president ever more tightly and say everything I was doing, I was doing at the behest and the request of the president. It makes it a lot tougher for the president to divorce himself from this in the future. If, you know, a lot of people, lawyers would say it would be smart for the president to say to separate himself from Rudy and say, look, you know, I wanted him to look into stuff, but I don't know what else he was doing. But that's not what's happening right now. And that's I think that's a fascinating uh, facet of this of this entire drama going on, because, you know, the Democrats want to impeach the president for wrongdoing. Uh, You know, certainly Rudy Giuliani's problems become the president's problems ever more. Uh, readily, you know, apparent now uh, that this is going on. And there seemed to be a moment when the president may have been thinking about distancing himself from Rudy Giuliani. He was like, oh, I'm not really sure if he's my personal lawyer. And then uh, in the days after that, he essentially said he's a great gentleman. He was a fantastic right. uh, mayor of New York. And now, obviously, uh, some of Giuliani's... And we've seen, we've seen that before, right? right? With in, Michael Cohen. The, yeah, during the... During the well, we've seen it with Michael Cohen. And we also saw it during the Mueller investigation when Rudy kept causing issues with some of his TV appearances, the president got angry and, and asked him to, to, to chill out and stop doing them for a while. And then, of course, he came back and, and, and has caused new problems for the president. Yeah, I mean, Rudy Giuliani chilling out, it just seems to not be possible, no. uh, given his penchant for wanting to be in front of the camera. And in some ways, he's very similar to this president in some ways. He feels like he can talk his way out of things. And in the meantime, he talks his way into a lot of trouble, oftentimes, and the president uh, in trouble as well. Right. Normalizing things that everybody's outraged about and, and say, yeah, so what? 
And, and in that way, they believe that that is a, a normalization strategy that has worked with them, ever, you know, going back to the Stormy Daniels stuff, the uh, grab them by the you-know-what, uh, you know, uh, issues. All of those things, you know, they simply normalized as a way to get out of it. And it's worked in the past. We'll see whether it works now. Yeah, which is what Mick Mulvaney was maybe trying to do yes. yesterday, right, Polina Giuliani? All right, Evan, and we're going to hold it right there, and we're going to bring in Daniel Dale in just a moment. But first, this quick break. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm Nia Malika Henderson. I'm filling in for host David Challion. Evan Perez, he's still here with me. And we're delighted to be joined by CNN reporter and relentless truth teller, Daniel Dale. Good afternoon, Daniel. I understand you have been up uh, since, what, like 3 a.m.? Yeah. Fact-checking the president's rally? Yes. I was up till 3.30. He uh, he started a bit late. He was about 40 40 minutes late for uh, a rally in Texas, so we're already later than uh, in the Eastern Zone. So, yeah, these these things take a while. Yeah, this is a full-time job with this president. And one of the things we were obviously talking about with Evan here uh, is this idea that the Mick Mulvaney is talking uh, about uh, this investigation into Ukraine, into the DNC server. What is this conspiracy theory? Everybody talks about it being debunked, but what are the origins of it? What are they talking about when they say DNC server? So it's it's extremely bizarre. So the, the it has a couple of facets. So the, the president seems to believe that uh, the owner of the cybersecurity company CrowdStrike, which is actually publicly traded, so a lot of people own it, but he believes that a primary owner uh, is Ukrainian. Uh, so that's part one. The thing is that this man, Dmitry Alperovich, is not Ukrainian. He was born <laughs> in Russia. He immigrated to the United okay. States as a teenager. He's an American citizen. The company is based in the United States. It's not a Ukrainian company. It's not a Ukrainian guy. The, the, the second part, basically the, the overarching premise of this theory, is that it wasn't uh, – Russia has been unfairly blamed for this hack of the Democratic Party servers. And somehow this originated in Ukraine. Uh, and then the and then we fast forward and the, and then we get to the the server because of Alperovitch's supposed Ukrainian roots is somehow being stored in Ukraine. So that's not I've learned through researching this. That's not how this works. When a company like CrowdStrike investigates a hack, it doesn't have to take all of the you know dozens of physical boxes servers. Uh, it invest it takes the data. It takes copies of the data. And we know that the particular server that Trump is talking about it's still in Washington at the Democratic National Committee. So there, there are a bunch of elements of this, and all of them are are wrong. And, and fiercely believed by this president and some of his allies, and likely Giuliani as well. And even as you fact check this, and I'm sure you fact checked it, we've debunked it on air as well. People still believe it, obviously. They, they do. And what's interesting to me about this is that, you know, as someone who has fact checked Trump pretty much every day for, for three years now, you know, we know that there, there are hundreds of false things that he says that, that we know he knows are false. He's saying it because he's, he's a liar. He has a, a long history of lying, um, or he sees strategic, tactical, political benefit to saying something untrue. But there are other cases where it's like, whoa, like he actually thinks this. 
and and you know so it's not he he hasn't just said this to the public he said it to Zelensky on that phone call like he this is something he's saying privately as well so it's this is not just politics this is something the president thinks and you were listening uh, last night to his rally in Texas he has been focused not only on this DNC server in in any Ukraine connections which of course there are none uh, but he's also been focused on the whistleblower which of course the whistleblower's complaint has kicked off this investigation this impeachment inquiry Here's what he had to say about the whistleblower last night. And what about the whistleblower? The whistleblower got it all wrong. Who's the whistleblower? Who's the whistleblower? Who is the whistleblower? We have to know. Is the whistleblower a spy? Is the whistleblower a spy? He, of course, said there uh, that the whistleblower got it all wrong. Fact check that. So this has been the president's most frequent false claim over the last two weeks. Uh, it was it's been more than at least 23 times over the last, let's see, 18 days now. The president has said that the whistleblower was highly inaccurate. We know that the whistleblower was highly accurate. And we know that because of the rough transcript that Trump himself released. So the whistleblower in, in uh, the whistleblower complaint had a three point. Uh, list of primary allegations about the call. Number one was that uh, Trump pressured Zelensky to investigate the Bidens. We know that's correct. Trump pressured Zelensky to investigate the server nonsense, as we've talked about. That's correct. And Trump pressured Zelensky to talk to his own lawyer, Rudy, and the Attorney General Barr. And that's correct. Now, there was a fourth allegation that Trump wanted the the Prosecutor General of Ukraine, uh, Lutsenko, to be kept in his job. That is not in the in the rough transcript. Again, it's a rough transcript. So uh, perhaps the whistleblower went three for four. But that's that's far from totally wrong. That's that's pretty good. In in the meantime, Evan, uh, if you're Democrats, the focus had been, of course, on the whistleblower. But now they're saying they might not even need the whistleblower because of all of the interviews they've gotten around the whistleblower complaint. Right to Daniel's point, I mean, a lot of what the the whistleblower said has really been 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 proved essentially by the testimony that people have brought uh, have come forward with including from you know one of the one someone who would we would expect to be Trump's ally which is uh, Gordon Sondland the ambassador to the European Union so that's one of the most remarkable parts of this is that you know a lot of us you know there was some discomfort about a whistleblower who did not have firsthand knowledge did not have access to the transcript was not on the call and to the president's point, you know, worked for an intelligence service and was attached to the White House. But it turns out everything, you know, that we the, the main allegations here have been uh, have been truthful, it appears, based on the testimony. And we're expecting to hear even more uh, in the coming uh, days. Yeah. And, and Daniel, I wonder if you could help listeners kind of be on the lookout for falsehoods around this impeachment inquiry. Right. We've got the DNC server uh, kind of debunking that conspiracy theory. Obviously, what the president has said about the whistleblower. What else are you finding? that the president is con- consistently uh, not being truthful about around this inquiry? Well, he's, he's repeatedly invented supposed comments from Nancy Pelosi and said, you know, Pelosi thought she had something going with this impeachment stuff. Then she saw the transcript and she said, I'm paraphrasing here, but she said, you know, I'm angry. This is not what I was told. I'm so underwhelmed. <laughs> And there is no evidence she she ever said or thought. It appears that. to the opposite, right? I mean, she's, <laughs> yeah. she appears to this is, appears to be beyond what they had expected initially. Yeah, so it's it's kind of I don't know if ironic is the word, but he's attacking Adam Schiff for a, a, a kind of bad paraphrase of the phone call, while doing an even worse paraphrase, like inventing quotes from Nancy Pelosi. That's false. He's also started repeatedly claiming that he outsmarted Adam Schiff. He said Schiff made these comments at committee 
only because he never thought I'd release a transcript. And then I called up Ukraine and we released a transcript and now he's very embarrassed. Schiff actually spoke a day after right. the transcript was released. And that was Trump's initial complaint. Like, Schiff has a transcript. Why is he reciting it so badly? And so this is what seems to me to be a, a systematic effort by Trump to completely rewrite the reality of virtually every facet. It's a strategy that worked in the Mueller yeah, investigation, yeah. you know, to, to a certain extent. They were able to reframe Mueller in a way uh, that worked for them politically. And so maybe that's what's at work here. And, and Evan, next week, what are you looking for? Of course, there's this battle. Uh, Democrats want to subpoena folks. They want to subpoena some documents. I think some of those deadlines are actually going to lapse today. What do you have your eye on? To well, we're all watching for Bill Taylor, the you Ukrainian amb- the ambassador in Kiev, who was the one that that in those text messages that we've seen, raised a concern and said, you know, you mean to say we're withholding aid for the sake of the, the campaign? And again, that's that lies. That's the center of of the concern here and, and what may what is driving this impeachment inquiry. So it's really important to hear what he has to say. And we'll hear from him Tuesday at 930. I'm sure uh, lots of folks are going to be wondering what comes out of that deposition. Uh, Evan and Daniel, thank you for joining me today on Daily DC Impeachment Watch. And thanks to the listeners out there. Remember, there's a new episode of this podcast every weeknight. So please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or via your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. We'll see you Monday.